welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. You are on this week with JB, and I'm joined by the illustrious, high-coveted, highly-coveted? <laughs> I have no idea where you're going with this at all. No, no that's just... it. That's it. I just wanted to throw out a few compliments. All right. I, I don't know. I feel like you're setting me up for something, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Uh, how How is your Supercoach week, JB? Mine was poor. For a couple of reasons, uh, I'll ah. I'll start off. I'll... Do we have to go through the excuses? Can you just tell me your score and we can move on? <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to I want to go through the excuses first. Okay. Um, for starters, someone uh, who may or may not be on this podcast with me right now convinced me that Brody Smith was a good selection over Doherty. So I ended up starting that, and that cost me sixty odd points, and a lot of <laughs> a lot of tissues when I was crying on on the sad day. So. Thanks for that, whoever convinced me of that. And uh, besides that, I actually didn't do too badly, but I did cop Dunkley, who's a bit of a point of difference. Um, I, can, I can count on him coming back, so it was more of an inconvenience, if anything, and that accounted for my rank of around the 40k mark pistol. What was your score, though, JB? Uh, it was about 21.10, I think. So it's, I think it's, to date, one of my worst starts of the season. But yeah, it doesn't started- matter. I've started worse. It's like round one. Anything can happen. It's a long season. Doesn't matter. Literally. Um, There's probably only 100 points between me and top 10K, so I'm not not concerned at all. No, it's fine. How'd you Um, go, mate? Yeah, okay. Uh, I think I had an extremely average week. I got 2-1-3-7. Nothing really went too well and nothing really went too wrong, so it was kind of middle. I did pick Doherty over Brody Smith and told you to do Brady Smith over Doherty, so uh, I feel really guilty about that. <laughs> I feel really guilty. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's been uh, other strange calls. You know, got most of the rookies wrong, um, playing Kavara, you know, over Georgius. Uh, you could have pretty much any of the, you know, it's a rookie lottery going into round one anyway, so I'm not really too fussed about the score. I mostly just want to focus on um, how the game's were played, so what type of, I guess, style the shorter quarters brought forth, as well as um, some players and how the scoring system impacted specific types of players. Uh, in terms of what we're going to suggest for trades and all that jazz, we didn't even know when the next round will start, so we, we'll definitely do a podcast before the, I guess, restart of the season. So uh, this podcast won't really be focusing on which plays to get in and how to make your trades because honestly it doesn't really matter right at this point. Just, I guess, understanding uh, the game more and what to look out for um, moving forward is probably going to be much more worth everybody's while, JP. Yeah, and obviously we're fully aware of everything happening around us at the moment. Um, We don't want to harp on it. We really just wanted to get out some content so people had something to listen to on their days off or days on the way to work whichever you're, you're currently still doing at the moment so <laughs> your days at home yeah we, whichever one it is we just wanted to you know provide something that isn't what's been spoken about heavily at the moment so um we'll get straight into it essentially uh we're going to jump into the first game now um due to the fact that as you said we're not going to see Supercoach for a, a little while now um we're going to put more of an AFL-ish spin on the podcast and talk a bit about the game uh, and also what we saw from a Supercoach perspective. So uh, it won't be solely talking about who scored what and everyone's possessions and uh, et cetera and who to trade for who, So um, as you essentially said before. So um, we started off with Richmond versus Carlton, and 
Uh, I'm going to say right now, after the first quarter, I thought this was going to be 105 to 8, let alone 105 <laughs> to 81. So Carlton, I thought were really impressive with how they fought back in this one. Yeah, I thought, oh no, here we go. It's going to be a bloodbath to start the season. And it was just kind of cringing that I'm like, okay, we waited so long for football and then this is what we get. And then the fight back happened and I was like quite impressed with Carlton, um, especially knowing that Cruz had gone down uh, and it's, you know they were their structure was, I guess, a bit off or maybe it was better um, without Cruz or what it was, clearly. Um, I thought <laughs> that it was actually much more entertaining than the scoreline suggested maybe because everyone was kind of well at least not Tigers fans but uh, everyone else was kind of hoping that Carlton would just get on a roll and bring it back and be a really close game but I, I quite enjoyed enjoyed the shorter quarters for this one because um, it just meant it seemed like there was a lot more high intensity moments throughout the game JB yeah and uh, it's it was weird because you spent half the game trying to adjust to no crowd and then the second half of the game trying to adjust to Carlton coming back and, and kicking goals and it was like uh, there, there were things happening in between where it's the you know some unforgettable moments probably went under the radar and it, it's yeah it was really it was really everything thrown into one game of football so there were a lot of crazy moments and I think Dustin Martin was the absolute standout in this one um, he scored 126 super coach uh, he obviously had the 20 plus disposals kicked the goal but it was more so he's he's what he did around the footy was like he had one of those uh, the ball was rolling on the ground. Someone missed him with the pass, and he just flicked it, just tapped it up with his hand to to someone in complete space. I think it was potentially Bolton who who sort of just turned and, and scored the goal. So, just things like that that do earn you a decent amount of Supercoach points and go under the radar. Um, I think uh, that they just make him what he is, and uh, there's no doubt that he's going to be a top six forward in my mind. If well, definitely higher than that, but. Yeah, I think maybe something we should start with is that the scoring for the entire round uh, was not what we were used to. It looks like there was a really heavy emphasis on contested possessions and they seem to be mm-hmm. weighted quite heavily. So anybody that got a lot of contested possessions scored really well, regardless of any of your other stats. I went through the whole round. The person I looked at every player that got double-digit contested possessions. Um, the lowest score out of all of them was Raul and he got 80, um, and that was from 10 uh, contested possessions. And even Dangerfield, who only had 16 touches overall, he still managed to get 10 contested possessions and finished with a score of 83. And looking across the, the, the board, most of those were much higher than 100 as well. Like a lot of the big scorers were ones that got a, a 10-plus contested possessions. So um, Dusty was right up there for the Tigers, um, the only person to get 10 in for, the, for Richmond was Liam Baker. Um, he had 16 possessions, 10 contested, and he scored a 91. Um, Dusty had eight contested possessions and scored 126. Obviously, he had a lot of goal assists um, and a goal himself, so that boosted his scoring a lot more. But to me, it was very, very strong emphasis on contested possessions. On the Carlton side of things, you have Matty Cruiser get injured in this one. Uh, they, I think they put a... Was it a four-month or a three-month... Um, period on it so still unlikely to be available for round two whenever that rolls around but I think Carlton as you said did play decently without him and and mostly uh, due to the fact that Sam Doherty just did not look like he'd spent two years out of the game and 
um, it, the realization that I'd made the wrong choice came really quickly to me on the, <laughs> in the first game of the round. I'm sorry. Uh, with, no, 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 mate. I I have my reservations over Doherty. I used your opinion as confirmation bias and made the decision myself. I, I would never blame someone for something going on in my team. So, uh, although I will jokingly do it, but it's it's never in all seriousness. But um, Sam Doherty had 26 disposals and had eight of those contested possessions we've spoken about already. 86% time on ground, scored 117. He was incredible. And I actually think, mate, I'm not going to say outshone by Sam Petrescu. He definitely wasn't in terms of Supercoach, obviously. Doherty's top scored for Carlton. But seeing SBS off the halfback flank as well was incredible. He had such a good game. And I think it's going to be a really big season for him when we do get underway. Yeah, Petrovsky Seaton looked really, really good. He's 430k um, in Supercoach, and he had 19 touches. He used it at 89%, 11 contested possessions, and scored 113 Supercoach. So a really big game for him, but he, he looked really, really good as well. So certainly someone to keep the eye on um, moving forward, especially because most of the top defender options didn't actually live up to their price tag. So being able to afford a cheaper... Uh, defender who can have this sort of output um, especially this didn't look like this is going to be a one-off game for him either he, he looked really really solid down back so um, I think that's a, that's a pretty good call there um, JB those that didn't select though uh, Patrick Cripps he in this type of scoring format he played 92% time on ground for starters because why would you take your best player off the, the ground but he is going to dominate in this contested possession style point scoring game. He is a beast. And the only player to go over 30 disposals, he genuinely just finds the ball like nobody else out there. And even with the shortened quarters, getting over 30 disposals, um, more than half of them being contested with 17. He had 10 clearances. The only thing that held him back from a big 150 was the fact that he had six clangers and... And they got off uh, to such a bad start that the scaling that, yeah. was out of whack. Yeah, yeah so he, he really... like if, if, the, if the roles were reversed in this game, then he would have had a really, really large score. So although those who didn't start Crips got away with the one here, um, if something like Unlimited Trades is up in the air for round two, I think he'd be one of the first guys that I'd be trying to get in in, in terms of premiums. Yep, definitely agree. Let's jump into the Bulldogs-Collingwood uh, match mostly because I enjoyed it so much. Um, it was largely <laughs> the same, I felt like, a very similar game to the one before where Collingwood just burst out of the blocks and never really looks like losing. There was like a kind of spirited fight back for Bulldogs for a very short period of time, but not to the extent um, of Carlton. And then Collingwood utilized their preseason um, strategy of chipping it around in the back line quite a bit, um, I guess, to milk the clock. And there was already a short period of time um, well, shorter period of time to do that and they, they did it well just to I guess um, hold the lead it was funny that I mean it was it was weird that people didn't Captain Grundy um, he's always killed Tim English and from pretty much the first quarter it was like oh boy like Grundy is potentially going to score 200 points and he only played 82% time on ground which is lower than his usual and it was one of the lowest time on grounds for a Ruckman. It was like in the middle middle to lower part of Ruckman across the whole round as well, JB. So this could have been way worse for, for people that didn't Captain Grundy. 
it could have been worse again. He scored, kicked one goal three as well. So, <laughs> and genuinely, at least two other of those behinds were some of the most easily kickable goals by his standard that you'll see. So, I think those who either didn't start him and there were a few out there, and or those who didn't captain him were not only did they, in quotation marks, get away with just the one seventy nine, but. I think they'll learn their, from their mistake and either try and get him in ASAP or be having him as vice-captain slash captain for every round for the season this year. So I think we got to talk about how he scored 156 points, uh, 25 possessions, 9 marks, 11 contested, um, You know, played 96% time on ground, which I think is very doable for him for the whole season um, about that mark. He looks amazing. He finished off the year incredibly well. I was spruiking him a bit in slack before the season started at his price and potentially a top six defender. Um, his, his Marsh game was much the same as this one. It was the same role, almost the same score. Um, his final series, they were both above 111. Um, he's come out with this. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he finished right up in that top six defender calculation skill still. And he's only at 430k with Collingwood's, I guess, chip chip ball style. I, th- I thought it was going to go one of two ways, JB. It was either going to be this doesn't work in a shortened period of time. It needs to be like full throttle, go, 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 um, and then have a break and then go, go, go. But if Collingwood gets an early lead in any of these games, um, that chip chip's coming right back and he's going to be one of the main people to benefit from that. This game was crazy. I, I can't believe um, the score was what it was and it was a bit of a boring game, not for Collingwood fans, but for everyone else watching. I thought this was, was this had game of the year written all over it in the pregame, so um, a little bit disappointing, a little bit anticlimactic. But in regards to how, did he have any sort of different role? Because although you guys, like you say you've changed your style, was that the only reason he scored higher? Because... You know, over the last few years, he's had big scores, of course, but he hasn't sustained it or averaged well enough to be in the top 20 conversation at times. So um, is it literally just the game style that's changed? I mean, the forward entry for Bulldogs was panicked, especially when they were losing. They started to just, I guess, freak out more, and he was intercepting a lot of the ball. But it... He's averaged, before last year when he was injured for a lot of the season where he averaged 80, the year before that he went 91, 94, before that 91. He's He's been about the marks. It, it's definitely not super surprising that he can come out with a big score um, with a lot of intercept possessions and a, a solid game. I mean, he's not going to average 150, but, you know, uh, mid-90s um, is definitely still on the cards for him. So I, yeah. I would be comfortable um, selecting him, especially, I mean... It's hard to make this call because um, it's only one game of sample size of this new scoring system, but the defenders generally looked poor. Um, at the top end ones just didn't score very well. So if you might, if you can save some money, uh, this might be the area to do that. And particularly, most of the forwards scored really well. So if we're taking money from our backline and investing it into the forwards or the rucks, um, that seems to be where the points are coming this year, JB. Yeah, and if I had a defender line like, for example, Brody Smith D1 and Doherty D2, for example, or just any example where your D1 is in a position where you can't really go up to anyone and, and you're looking to go down, but you've already got Doherty, I think Jeremy Howe is one of the more obvious selections. And it's not just... I'm going to say it's not point-chasing um, and put a lot of faith in Jeremy Howe here because, as you said, the the tactics have changed and that's obviously heralded this massive score. But 
Um, I think worst case scenario is he could probably hover around the 95 to 100 range over the season from here on out. So I don't I don't think it's exactly point chasing. I, I think he's got genuine premium potential. So um, I really don't mind the pick. And if anyone started him, I don't I don't think he was in many teams, but that's incredible. <laughs> I know you spoke about him in the preseason. I convinced piece, a couple people to start him, JB. There were a few people well, that did start him. Well, you do him, that, so that with people good. like, Jeremy Howe and, and Chris Mayne who scored 107. So I did. why don't you start these guys? <laughs> I did actually uh, post a thread about Chris Mayne being the best midfield cash cow option, um, a mid-price, I mean, at 400k. And I got hit by the most amount of uh, crosses <laughs> I guess you'd ever, ever seen. Everyone pretty much laughing it off. But he had a really good role in the preseason. Um, he played the same role off the halfback um, in this game. He scored 107. I wouldn't do it, but I just thought, I think he's going to be fine. He's a great draft pick um, for this season. Uh, talking about defenders, because there's not that many that are really worthwhile, um, and we can we can talk about Jack Crisp, I guess, in a moment, but I wanted to jump across to Caleb Daniel because he was one of the few defenders um, or premium defenders that actually scored, scored well and actually looked good as well. Um, he didn't have a big game. He barely moved the ball forward. His meters gained is 160, which is terrible for somebody uh, like Caleb Daniel. And from 20 touches as well, that that's not great. But I think he will definitely um, improve on that when they don't get absolutely flogged. So he, for me, is somebody that has, um, I guess, we'll say early upside um, based on what this scoring system is going to look like, JB. Do you know what really turns me off Caleb Daniel? I'll, I'll be surprised if you guess this. The helmet. No. Close. No, not really close. Um, the fact that Eddie Had Stadium will have the roof open when they play there. What? I genuinely think the conditions of, of having a new, like neutral conditions suit him so well in having the roof closed at Eddie Had Stadium. No, but when the or season Marvel comes Stadium. back, they might be able to have the roof closed. Uh, potentially, but we, we, we have no idea. We're, we're absolutely theorizing if we're saying that, but... If that is the case, I, I just I just don't like it for him. He's like, such he a just, weird, weird call. <laughs> no, but he averaged so well at Marvel Stadium, and it could just be that the dynamics of the ground are excellent, it's their home ground, whatever it is, but he averaged so well there that whenever he did go anywhere else, it looked like it was weather-affected scores that he was, you know, that was forcing him into poorer scores, so... I don't know. Just if, the, if Eddie Hatt's going to be, or Marvel Stadium's going to be open all season, then... I just I, I don't love it. <laughs> I mean, is that crazy? That, it's you can a little. See where I'm coming from. Yeah, I mean, what do do pale people play better um, at Marvel when the roofs closed compared to pale people playing at Marvel when the roofs open? Uh, this is stuff That's that you might need to for look you, into. I suppose. Have you played with Marvel <laughs> roof open versus roof closed? Or? Look, I, I can't I can't go when the this it's open. It's say straight away sunburn, JB. Um, Take an so, umbrella. <laughs> you can't at the football. Yeah. Um, so for Bulldogs, though, before we get off track even more, um, Bailey Smith looked excellent. Um, he was getting a lot of midfield time. I don't know if it's because Dunkley was just having an absolute shocker, so they wanted to get him out of there. It looked like they gave Dunkley the whole first quarter to play in the midfield, and he got wrecked by the Collingwood midfield. And then they were like, you know what? You just play uh, half forward for the next quarter. They, they kind of stuck him forward. And then Bailey Smith got to play a lot more midfield time, and he looked really, really solid in there. So that's something that I would put a watch on um, and see if Dunkley and Bailey Smith's roles are going to be somewhat um, related 
with ones having a good or bad game or vice versa. Um, obviously, we won't know until the footy's back later, but that's just something that I picked up on. McRae looks bloody solid as ever. And, and what did you make of Bont's game, JB? I, it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> he... <laughs> The one, one of the, t- the, the free kick that he got, um, it was one of the first touches he had for the quarter and it wasn't even a free kick. Like he, he essentially, um, he got, he did to him for holding the ball after he tackled them. I think after he'd gone over the boundary, so it should have just been a throw in. And like it, the, the fact that that was one of his only touches, I don't, I, I've seemed to be going off on so many tangents in this podcast, but um, that just screamed to me like usually Bond just goes and finds the footy himself and he doesn't rely on those lucky little circumstantial things to give him his first few touches etc so he just did not look in good for me he only had 15 of the ball and a couple of those were late as well in, in real junk time he scored 76 but I genuinely am, am not certain as to how he even got there I suppose the six tackles were helpful but it just he didn't play extremely well, and I suppose it's because the whole Bulldogs team didn't play well, and and Collingwood really shut them out. But seeing this from Dunkley and Bond, I'd say it's unlikely either of them score this poorly again for the potential of the season. But um, I saw more promising or less promising things from Bond than almost anyone else. I think this the so their combined scores I think will be the lowest of the whole year. And we just saw it in round one because Collingwood's midfield just got completely on top of them. And I don't know if any other team will do that to them. Maybe that's a big call on the bias call. No, that's fair enough. Fan, I, I, but I, I kind of agree that's with that. That's genuinely what I believe. Yeah. Well, even so, I don't think it will happen very often. <laughs> maybe maybe one or two other teams would be able to have that control over them. So uh, I'm, I wouldn't really be too concerned if I were you. But... Do you think this, I guess, maybe could be a point against starting all three Bulldogs players? Yes. Midfielders? Yeah. I, a, lot, a, lot of us, a lot of us pegged them as a top three, four, five-ish team. Um, they looked at nothing of a top three, four, five-ish team in this game. And it just seems like they're well, maybe a year off of it. And you really want them finishing in that upper tier and winning most of their games if you want to be selecting three players from one team. That that kind of goes for any team um, and any players. So you, you really want to see more, like a lot more wins, a lot more um, convincing wins even where you know they're getting some early scaling and, and sort of running with it. So um, I wouldn't have all three. I'd, be, I'd potentially be wary of having all three in my team at any point in the season if they're going to continue like this. Not getting smashed, but just not being a dominant force that we thought they would be. So, I don't know. It, it's kind of it's definitely scared me away. I I can't see myself trading in a third um, bulldog. I'm probably closer to trading out a second bulldog than I am trading in a third one. Well, we'll talk about that uh, closer to the time. Before we jump into the next match, I did want to say Tyler Brown looked awesome <clears> and. <throat> Uh, at least in, in my eyes, he will definitely play whenever round two is. As long as he's not injured, he will get another game. And he's probably not even the most fringe player in our side. I think um, he, he may have even surpassed Josh Thomas and, and what he brings to the best 22. So uh, TBD on this space, we obviously have Trelaw coming back and some other injuries that may um, affect the side. But I was very, very pleased with, with Tyler Brown. So at Can least there's say... one good rookie. Yeah. I was not pleased with Lewis Young. He scored zero. <laughs> I just I, I find that incredible that someone he had sixty nine percent time on ground and he, he scored zero. Yeah, it's not great. I feel like it needs to be pointed out. 
Yeah, no, I can... Fair enough, let's let's jump into the next one, though. <laughs> the next one was Essendon versus Fremantle. Um, Fremantle hit back late in this one, but couldn't quite close the gap enough. Uh, looked like it was going to be a draw for a little while there. It's when it hovers on that six-point margin and a team is peppering another, that's pretty much all that goes through your mind, but we did not see it in this one. Um, dominant Dylan Shield was the case here. 35 touches in the lower quarters, 86% time on ground. This is someone who goes to the bench after tying his shoelaces. He's that puffed out. He was everywhere. It looks like he's an absolute fitness freak this season. And 163 super coach points. What a way to start this, the year. That's 300 meters gain he was pretty much on the dot of. He had a ripper game. He did. He did. But I don't want people to get completely... Um, I'm not sure. I just I don't want them to think this potentially means... Well, I mean, it does potentially mean Shill is a legitimate option. But um, I, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't like people to lean that way just because I think people will forget like how we expect Fremantle to go this year. Like Fremantle for me are a bottom three side. So I would expect Essendon to thump them. Well, not thump them, but at least beat them. Uh, Cause I don't think Essendon are a bottom three side, you know, probably bottom five. <laughs> um, <laughs> so nice. I just wanted to throw that one in there. So yeah, he, he had an easy opponent. He played unbelievably well. Um, but yeah, just kind of keep it in the back of your minds. I, I think um, some other players that we saw do well is Adam Saad, um, another halfback flank player that scored well. So something that to keep your your eye on, as well as Ridley scored a hundred, another halfback flank, and obviously the contested uh, ball winners, uh, McGrath playing in the midfield. Um, he was quite good. Eleven contested possessions from his twenty-three, one hundred thirteen points, and Zach Merritt ten contested possessions from his 22 and 111 Supercoach points. Um, JB, anyone anyone else worth discussing on the Bombers side? Surprising that Darcy Parrish, after such a strong preseason, only had 66% time on ground, played a smidgen of midfield time, um, only eked out the 53 Supercoach points, 12 disposals, one mark, one tackle. They, Chizo said this in the preseason, they don't use him in his right position and they're still not using him in his right position they got the result that they wanted out of the game so I'd be very surprised to see him in there anytime soon if you started Darcy Parrish then a correction on trade is in order McGrath looked really good in that midfield as well so I he think he's much, yeah, really, yeah really good, really he's going to be ahead of Parrish in that midfield and even Stringer um, we we'll probably need to talk about Dev Smith but Stringer was getting midfield rotations ahead of Dev Smith and Darcy Parrish. Like he, he barely even got the ball, but he was still getting all those midfield rotations. He, he only had nine touches. Um, yep. So Dev Smith to me was a little bit of a worry. Not he scored well. He scored 105. Don't get me wrong. And at his price, I'm not fussed at all. And you know I'll ride him out. Blah 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 blah. But he just didn't really play what the role I was expecting him to play, particularly after. In the last two Marsh games, he got got like full reign in the midfield in the second halves, and I was expecting the same for this one because in the first half he was playing in the forward line, and then the second half came and I'm like, uh oh, he's still in the forward line. So that's something at least to to keep our eyes on, JB. Yeah, he was going through the midfield. Um, you'd see him. Um, I think he started a few centre bounce attendances, but um, a lot of like wing action and, and half forward action. When there was a stoppage, he was uh, one of the first men in there, so he is still getting quote unquote midfield time. But it's it's definitely not as much as he had back in uh, his successful 2018 season. 
Um, it's probably not as much as we even expected starting him this season, but it could still very well be enough to have him averaging around the 95-plus mark, which is well and truly more than enough than what we need. So on the Fremantle side, um, funny funny note, in our uh, Doctor's Daily Dose podcast, when we released 30 podcasts in 30 days, one of the players we focused on was Michael Walters. And one of the key points I was saying was how many games he actually won off his own boot last season, as in literally on the siren or in the last 10 seconds of a game. And I was, I was saying, I just don't think that that's a sustainable thing that he can do. Even though he is a match winner, it was just so many uh, times that it happened and his scoring was inflated because of it. And then I was watching this game and Michael Walters was not really good in the first half. I would say he was poor. And then all of a sudden the second half came and Dockers started coming back. And in the last quarter, Michael Walters was dominating JB. And I'm like, uh-oh. He's going to do it again, and I'm going to be instantly proven wrong in, in round one. Um, and he nearly did it, and he scored 110, and he was unbelievable in the last quarter. Yeah, he, he looks great. It's fair to say whatever game that Fremantle are competitive in this season, um, he's likely to score well. It's only the games that you, you know, you saw what Collingwood did to Western Bulldogs. I would not want to have Michael Walters against Collingwood sort of thing, so... Those are the games that you're really concerned about. If you started him, obviously that's great, and you've probably taken home one of his top five scores for the season, but um, he's not one that I'm exactly expecting on uh, getting 100-plus every single game. Um, As goes with Sam Sturt, who had a great debut, kicked a few goals, had a couple of setups as well, um, 10 touches. He was very lively, 100 super coach points. If you missed him, then... Um, obviously, yeah, he's one that you, you... I mean, it's only price changes after one week now, so um, you'll probably have to get him in for a, a swift price jump, but I don't think he's going to be scoring up near triple figures again this season. I think the the most interesting thing about this game was Luke Ryan. You talk about half-backers scoring well. He only had 52 points off 11 disposals. He just was not himself, and I, I think it, it... I don't know if it exactly has everything to do with the potential injury uh, coming out earlier in the preseason, but he was an absolute shell of himself and just did not look like scoring well at all for the entire game. No, I can't remember what the injury... I think it was a displaced back disc or something? or Something, something, something like that. Yeah. Um, and he was struggling to train and it really showed. He looked really bad in this match. He did not play well. He did not move freely. Um, hopefully it's resolved by the time round two comes along, but that was a big worry. He he was basically not in the game. Um, I'm interested to know your thoughts, though. You said this was the most interesting th- thing in the game. To me, it was the second most interesting. I think the Andrew Brayshaw hype, uh, him and reality, I guess, did not meet our expectations. It was Brayshaw playing in the midfield, sharing one spot, uh, with Adam Shara and they both just didn't score well because of it. It's weird. Um, this wasn't that interesting because it did meet my <laughs> expectations. Um, I said in a, uh, I'll again reference the Do- Doctor's Daily Dose, I said in that podcast that I did not think Brayshaw was going to be a good pick this season and there were many a reason that I laid out. And he essentially ticked all of those boxes. He's not a high possession getter. He's not a high time on ground percentage player. Um, he doesn't hit the scoreboard, and he missed two absolute golden opportunities. And to make the game competitive as well, he would have got a decent amount of scaling uh, for either of those shots on goal as well. Um, 
He's good at getting the footy in a contested sort of ratio. Uh, he had seven of those, which was 50% of his touches, which is great. Um, he's usually a better tackler. He only had one for the game, so I'd expect he probably missed out on a few points there. But essentially, the gist of it is, he's not suddenly going to go 95 for the season. I'd be shocked if he went 90. I'd also be so, sort of surprised if he went high 80s even. So um, I would advise those who started him that... Um, when round two does go along, then he's one of the first players I'd look at. And I'd even look at going to his comrade, Brett Bewley, as a trade option, who scored 95 Supercoach points off his 20 touches. And he was one of the cleanest players out there. 85% uh, de- uh, efficiency. Just did not miss. Um, he had 16 kicks, only four handles, which makes his 85% disposal efficiency even better. Um, eight marks, just running those wings, a couple of tackles. He was extraordinary very good for his price i'd be hesitant about a round two pick though just because acres will come back in the side and will tbd on how it'll affect buley he probably gets another chance on the wing given how well he played but just something to at least think about um and acres potentially affecting his role uh brayshaw we could we we argued about it already so i'm not going to go into it i obviously think that that he should be getting those five tackles a game and um, didn't live up to expectations, so I, th- I think there's room to grow there. But his role just wasn't what we thought it would be. So you're what right. You thought it would be that I thought it would be. I did think he'd play midfield, um, and he just didn't get there. So TBD on that one. Well, for, for in your eyes, it's not TBD. No, no, no but... it's D. It's really D. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, I think that pretty much covers this game, and uh, let's let's jump into the next one, JB. The next one was Crows losing to Sydney Swans. Um, obviously a huge fight back late in this one, but not enough from Adelaide. Um, a couple of, I guess, it's weird to see these two teams, I mean, it's not weird to see them play a close game, but it's weird to, to see it in the context of, you know, which one of these teams is going to be like on the better end of a rebuild sort of thing. And and just the way you think about these sides is, is it's changed so much over the last couple of years. But Essentially, you can't look at the stats on this game without looking at Isaac Heaney. He goes well with your contested possession theory. He had 12 of them playing forward. Um, 12 of his 16 touches were contested. He had 152 supercoach points off his four goals. And the reason he was barely spoken about, well, there was a few reasons, but the main one was the fact that he had such an interrupted preseason. Now he's going to have weeks and weeks and weeks to train and be ready for, for round two. And uh, he's not really owned that highly. Yeah, I'm really annoyed. I know you're in the in the preseason podcast, I was saying how he was my number one forward pick, um, and because of that broken hand, I didn't start him. So, bit pissed about that. But anyway, uh, he was everywhere in the back pocket, in the midfield, in the forward pocket, just all over the ground, and looks like an absolute superstar. But again, take it with a grain of salt. They won. I don't know how many games Swans are going to win this year. Adelaide as well, I would put in the bottom four sides. So it's, uh, yeah, a, a, a big grain of salt. JPK, though, um, 16 contested possessions. The scoring system right now is really going to suit somebody like him. Um, 129 supercoach points and basically in no teams with a really good, strong supercoach history. I think he's worth at least watching this time period. But the story of this game... JB is definitely Sam Naismith. We have to talk about him. 120 points. He was really good. 
Can I quickly ask something before we talk about that? In the more AFL type podcasty thing that we're pushing, as well as Super Coach, can I? I got a question about Isaac Heaney. Is he a far superior player as a forward than he is a midfielder? I think so. I, I don't know if it's far. Super, it's like if you ask me about Dugowie, uh I would say Dugowie is a better forward than a midfielder, but we haven't really seen him play as a full time. We like he when he played in the midfield, he's won us games, but he's also disappeared. So um, I think we would need to see extended period of both to be able to judge. But I feel like. He's just really special as a forward, so I Do you think can't... there's any chance he gets up to the seventy no. percent ish midfield playing time? No. I, I think I don't think so either. I, I think he's I think always he's... gonna be fifty fifty. Yeah, and he's like so maximum. important and he wasn't even fifty fifty this game. I think it was even higher percent uh forward. I I'd say closer to sixty, seventy percent forward. And like he was their main key forward that they tried to get one out as much as possible. And I think that role just really suits him more so, much more so than the midfield. So, um, anyway, that was I thought that was interesting. Um, Sam Naismith went along with the pretty much the the whole rounds topic Ruck, of Ruckman, yeah, yeah, Ruckman just dominating games and like eleven disposals, eight of them contested, twenty eight hitouts, four tackles, no goals. None of this screams a huge score, but 121 supercoach points. Um, it's it's fair to say that if you selected him, you were hoping for 90 plus. Um, you were dreaming for 100 plus, and anything 110 plus would have been out of your wildest dreams. But 120 <laughs> is just the the best start possible for those who started him. He's obviously priced at a, a stupidly cheap price. Um, somehow more expensive than last year after playing no games. But um, essentially. Big ticks for whoever went with Naismith. It was a very ballsy pick to, to pick him over either Gorn or Grundy. Um, if you chose him over Grundy, I still don't think you've won. <laughs> but if you went him over Gorn, then definitely a big tick so far. And I don't know if it's a sustainable pistol, but I still think the durability is a concern. It just might not be a concern to those who started him because he would have already made enough money. Well, we'll see. Again, it's one round of data. I, we can say forwards are scoring well this year, but last season at the end of round one, we were saying... Sorry, I said Ruck, I meant Ruckman. Last season, we were saying after round one, oh, Ruckman are scoring really badly this year because they all subtuned except for one Ruckman. So it was Goldstein. I'm not really willing to just go all up, jump up and down, but I mean, Ruckman do get a lot more contested possessions. They are in the middle, they are around the ball, so we did expect them to have some sort of spike. We had spoken about it before. He's a very good tap Ruckman. He's going to get many hitouts to advantage. Um, 666 suits him. All, all the stuff we knew and we'd spoken about, and it's just the, the durability concern, which is we'll see uh, TBD on that one for if he's fit or not later in the year. Jake Lloyd, though, um, his score was bonkers uh, in my eyes. At halftime, he was on six disposals and 52 supercoach points off the top of my head. And I was so confused. I was like, he's done nothing and he's on 52. How is this possible? He ends up with 17 touches and only 77 supercoach points. So I don't really understand what was happening with him and his ball use and what where they were going through. I mean, Jordan Dawson, I guess, had an effect on him um, playing in a similar role, but... To me, at that massively inflated price to start the year, if you picked Jake Lloyd, it would be a very quick downgrade in my eyes. Yeah, and it's kind of concerning for both because we needed to see the dynamic of both of them in the team. We didn't get to see it in March, really. 
And then the first game we see, I think Jordan Dawson was on one point to quarter time and, and not many more to half time and then had a big second half, but Jake Lloyd the opposite. And it's just kind of what it's going to be like all season. I think they affect each other. Um, I think they're both obviously really, really above average players. I think Jordan Dawson is the future of that back line or wing or midfield or wherever he ends up. But he's got obviously incredible heights of potential. But um, as far as 2020 in our Supercoach teams, I just I really struggle to believe that either of them will be a good pick at any stage in the season. It's really, really difficult for me. Yeah, we'll we'll see um, about that one. On, on the by the way, can I just say like, pretty much mo- most things that I've said so far has been a we'll see in response. But it kinda, <laughs> it's kind of true. It kind of it's kind of because like everything we're saying is a we'll see. Like we'll see if the season goes through. We'll see if round two's in eight weeks or twelve or twenty or if there's more wholesale changes. Everything's a we'll see. So. Um, although we're making like boldish claims here and there, like it's still educated to now, but we will podcast again, obviously right, right before round two. And then, um, it'll be less of we'll sees and more of, yes, this is like, this is the concise direction that we want to go. So just so it doesn't sound like we're just guessing here, like, well, well, we are just guessing here. (laughs) (laughs) Just, we, we know we're guessing though. Like we're Um, not confused about it. (laughs) Rory Laird looks decent off the halfback. Um, only scoring 88, a bit, concerns about the scoring system um still and how that will affect him so 88 is fine though it was up there for the defenders so i'm going to jump into the next game because i'm uh, conscious of the time uh gws versus geelong this was quite a good game for at least three quarters or so i think um until you kind of realized that geelong had no chance of coming back um the first shock, I think, was Haitley not being named at all for GWS. That was a shock to me because he played so well in the preseason and it looked like there would be a spot for him and they just chose not to pick him. Um, they did play Tom Green and, look, people said, yeah, he fit in to the side and, like, yeah, he's got the body. I didn't think he played particularly well, in my opinion. Um, he did some things that were good, but he only got six touches and he was... I mean, he was mostly the first bench when there was an option to bench somebody. Um, he he was average. Um, I don't think he'll hold his spot given Taranto is probably going to be fit by the time the footy season comes back. Maybe they give him one more because uh, Adam Ken- Kennedy got injured, but he'll probably recover. Well, he will recover by the time um, the season starts again. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't too impressed by Tom Green. Um, Whitfield was interesting for me, JB. 21 possessions running around loose, he's really, really going to need to hit targets to score well this year. He's not a contested type player. Um, He needs to be able to rack up the ball and use it well every single game to score well this season. He's capable of doing it, but 109 from 21 possessions, I feel like that's kind of what we're going to get from him for this season. Just a tiny backtrack. Callum Ward's another one that's probably going to be fit for Uh, that too as well, so in regards to Tom Green. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm an owner. He had over 50 ads a quarter time, which is great. He then obviously slowed up for just 109 in the end. Obviously, neither here nor there. It's about what we expect from him. But um, to those who didn't start him, I don't think you can be really stoked about it. But to those who did start him, I don't think you can be stoked either. Um, it's literally just a wait and see. I, I don't think anyone who started him is going to get value out of the pick. I think he's obviously going to drop down. Um, But at the same time, you're going to be getting scores like this um, three out of four weeks, I think, in a month. So 
Um, not not super concerning for either party. It's just one of those. If you had the money to grab him, then you're probably getting the best forward of the season. If not, then you're going to be getting him cheaper on during the year. So um, I think um, the other guys, the the sort of borderline, what we consider uber premiums in the GWS team, Canelio and Green were interesting as well, both turning up, both playing well. Uh, Canelio obviously got a bunch amongst the goals, which you kind of need to do playing a little bit more forward this season, uh, especially when those players return in, in round two. But he was good for 114, and Green, uh, not not one that many people considered as an option, uh, was was great as well. And this is against Geelong, so no pushovers. I think for me, the biggest watch was Josh Kelly. He looks unbelievable when he's on the ball. But when Tom Green came on, uh, Kelly seemingly got pushed out a bit wider um, than I would like playing on the wing. He's obviously still an accumulator and, and can score really well. But in that particular role, I don't see massive scores. It looked like most of the massive scores from this round came from uh, the contested ball beast. So uh, I not, I'm not a, a Kelly owner, but I definitely didn't do anything to inspire me to select him uh, moving forward. On the Geelong side, though, uh, Dangerfield held um, to just 16 touches. Watching the game, though, DeBoer really smashed him in the first quarter, and then his confidence was just gone. He gave away five free kicks, which was bad. He still managed to get 10 contested possessions out of his 16, so he did finish on 83 points, um, which is fine, I guess, as against GWS, but we, we were kind of expecting a low score with that DeBoer tag likely to come. He did play midfield, so it's a tick on his role. Um, he didn't play up forward for long periods of game like some people may have thought he would. Um, I actually feel better watching him in that game. Um, it, it made me think that he's going to be a worthwhile upgrade target just because his role is cemented for me as you know a midfield first um, type role. It's just unfortunate he caught the DeBoer tag in round one. Yeah, he got the hardest opposition out of the way early and um, probably one of the hardest teams definitely one of the hardest teams out of the way early uh, so it should be all uphill from here so he'll cop a couple of price drops before then floating back up so uh, we'll see how early we can get him into our sides but I agree it was it was mostly positive signs on the back of this one um, also Sam Jacobs obviously same as Naismith uh, if you started him then give yourself a pat on the back uh, he scored 134 he's obviously going to make quite a bit of money as well uh, to get closer to that Gorn price as Gorn probably will lose some money um, and that's again essentially what the ro- what the weekend was about. It was the high contested possession and the the high scoring ruckman. So um, cheap rucks win round one. So we're going to move on to yeah, the next Darcy game. Fort as well. JB two hundred sixty four k forward. No, oh, Darcy yes, Fort two hundred sixty k yes, yes, yes. forward did hold his own um, in the ruck department. I think he'll get another chance to be the number one ruck uh, next time, whenever the next match is. So he's definitely a forward option um, with dodgy job security. But if he plays as well as he played, he'll hold his spot. That's that's the thing. Um, and with the price changes changing so quickly and him being selectable as a forward, so if he does get dropped, you can trade him out uh, much more easily than if he was just a pure ruck. Um, I think he's a definite cash cow option. Yeah, 100%. He, he came onto our radars really quickly. And if the whole ruckman scoring well, which we'll learn more of during the season, is a thing then uh, he's one that you might not want to miss. But at the same time, he does have a lot of... He's shrouded with risk with his uh, job security and potential with uh, scoring as well. So um, on to the next game was Gold Coast versus Port Adelaide. Um, top and bottom of the ladder for week one, obviously by the margin of this one. And it was essentially... I really want to talk about Connor Rosie 
as a Port fan and as a Supercoach fan, 10 contested possessions, so he ticks that box for you, Pistol. Um, 125 Supercoach points. He was in and out of the midfield and forward line. His role really looked spectacular for what you want. He's, I don't know, with the second-year players, I don't know if, it, if there's a burnout factor later in the season, especially for those who are thrown into the midfield when their frame isn't exactly set on it yet. But um, could you tell me, please, if I should get my head out of the, the clouds and, and just take it with a grain of salt being it was Gold Coast or if Connor could be a genuine option for Supercoach this year? Look, it was against Gold Coast, so all of this from one data point is it's hard to make big statements, but he did look really good. It's just a lot of forwards looked really good. So um, I think that our top six forwards scoring um, this year, if, if, you, if I had to ask you before round one what you thought the sixth best forward would average, you'd probably say like 95-ish. Um, but now if you ask me, I'd, I'd probably say 100-ish after this scoring system um, change. So he will probably still be a good pick, JB, but I'd like just like to see exactly how good of a good pick he'll be. And we'll see in the coming weeks of the season, whenever that may be, um, if he's going to be able to match it with the big boys. Okay, so are you going to be trading in Tom Rockcliffe next week? <laughs> uh, don't tempt me. You know how much I love ruining my season <laughs> by trading in Tom Rockcliffe in and out of my side. So yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Ollie Wines is to return, right? So how do you see the midfield lining up once he does? That is a good question. Um, I'm not exactly sure. All I know is I want Travis Boak in there. I want Connor to be in there at times. I want Houston to be in there as well. And then it's literally a toss-up between Rockcliffe and Wines, but also you've got Powell Pepper and Ebert who can go through there but can also play forward. So um, it, it was really, as a Houston owner, it was really good to see Powell Pepper play a lot of forward time and play really well in the forward line as well. So although he did go through the midfield, um, he, he did also accumulate a lot of minutes for, which I didn't think he was overly capable of, considering his goal kicking is very subpar. But um, he was capable up there as a pressure forward and uh, obviously played really well, scoring 105 super coach points, so he was amongst it. Uh, so I, I just think in terms of being a Houston owner and uh, someone obviously who might consider Rosie in, in the later on, um, all good signs in terms of Port's midfield. So I'm glad you touched on Houston um, and you're confident in his role because I think a lot of people will get very nervous seeing just the 79, uh, but it doesn't really look that bad when you compare across the board of all of the other defender options. And particularly if you think he's going to continue playing midfield, then this is probably going to be one of the lowest scores that you'd hope. I just would like to see him get more contested possessions moving forward, but you know, there's been worse picks, so he's definitely not at the top of my list to trade out. On the Gold Coast side, though, there's just one person that really, really stands out, and that's Hugh Greenwood. This type of game scoring system is going to absolutely suit somebody like him. 18 possessions, but 13 contested. He scored 116 points. If he can tackle his you know, five tackles a game, um, getting 10 contested possessions, he is going to average some really good numbers for us in the forward line this season. Yeah, I can I completely agree. He was by far the most impressive son, and the one that you pretty much noticed at any point during a you know uh, they didn't really have any resurgence. But um, I think the third quarter was the one where neither team really scored until the last five minutes. So Gold Coast were really doing well in an arm wrestle, and that was mostly due to Hugh Greenwood having a huge quarter. So 
Um, absolutely, he was impressive. And if they can do that in what might be one of their worst losses of the season, then uh, I think Hughes up for a pretty good average this year. All right. Anything else you want to talk about or can we jump into the next one? On to the next one, mate. Great. We've got Kangaroos versus St. Kilda, an absolute thriller. Uh, if, for those that missed it, worthwhile watching. You had St. Kilda basically, we'll say, winning the game with a 30-point lead and North Melbourne just coming back out of nowhere with three players injured and still won. So um, nice to see Saints letting down their fans one more time uh, before the season went on the break. Oh, God. <laughs> um, look, Ben Cunnington, the contested possessions, 16 from his 25, seven tackles. This is exactly what you want. Two goals, 185 Supercoach points. Basically, couldn't have been a better Supercoach game and set up for him. I think for me, though, the biggest, uh, I guess, eye-opener was Simpkin. We thought he would play in the midfield. 11 contested possessions, 131 Supercoach. He's still quite cheap, and you can fill in that kind of mid-price spot when you're looking at Andy Brayshaw. Um, he played unbelievably well, and I would not be surprised if the midfield you know, going forward did consist of Cunnington, uh, Simpkin, and Higgins. Uh, and then you know other players kind of rotating through. He looks really comfortable there, and he he's a good player. So I I'm very impressed by him. I do like him. Uh, I think he's got a lot of potential. Simpkin. He does look like a really good player, especially in the midfield. Uh, I just don't. I don't know if I, I'm not in. I'm not in love with the pick. I just think this was a perfect storm for North Melbourne coming back from that margin against St Kilda. Um, I don't, I'm not one that thinks they're going to be overly competitive this season. Um, although it did score 131, so there's a lot of uh, av- there's a lot of available drop off for him to still be a successful pick. But I I just see too many 80s in his future, uh, too many st- scores like sort of dragging him down a bit. So um, not one that I'm going to highly endorse. But I do really like him as a player. And if you do have a dry Simpkin on your waiver wire in draft, he's absolutely a must pick up. So um, that's probably the more where I'd lean. It's crazy. Uh, North Melbourne have three players over 130 and no one else over 100. I just noticed that. <laughs> Goldstein was the other one above 130, but the crazy thing for me, JB, is he played 98% time on ground as a ruckman. That, that is crazy. That's insane. That That is really, really But he didn't really get crazy. all of their headouts, Pistol. No, he didn't. Uh, Cunnington, as the backup ruckman, did indeed... Uh, get one hit out, which is pretty funny. That's crazy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on on the Saints side, uh, I think the most impressive performer was probably Ben Long. He missed a quarter with a, an ankle injury. Playing off the halfback, he's only 280k forward in Supercoach. Um, 118 Supercoach points, as well as that 11 contested possession marks, so ticking all my boxes. Um, he is a player that could be another really, really good cash cow. i tell you what, Pistol... I was so close to starting him this season. From If you go back and watch what he did in Marsh, every single time he had the ball or the ball was in his general area, he just did exceptional things with it. He looked so comfortable down back. Uh, he took a, a few really good marks that I was so confident watching him play that he was going to have a good season in defense. But then I'd look at the scores in the Marsh Cup and he really just did not put what you saw to, to what he should have scored like he was scoring in the 50s and 60s and so I was sort of like oh maybe he's going to be one of those players who plays in flashes and and doesn't quite score well this was a great start for him and the scoring system seems to really suit him he had 14 touches 11 contested 
that that's just that's perfect for what we think the new scoring power curve is going to be. Um, he, he could be a bolter for this season for sure, and I, I really enjoy watching him play as well. So Dylan Robertson um, played lockdown basically the whole game, just twenty six points. What are we going to do with him? If you can, if you've got no worse places in your team, I wouldn't be opposed to trading him. But at the same time, um, I think we should also exercise a little bit of patience as well. It was his first game back in a long time. Um, he was playing lockdown, but they do have other players that could step in and do that as well if they um, did want to sort of build him up to be more of a rebounding type player as he has been in the past. But I'd ha- I'd not be opposed to either tactic as to trading him out or keeping him. If I had the available trade, he'd probably be gone for me. I just don't know where. Yeah, it's tough. If you have the available money to get him up to like a how, I think that was what most people look at. And they imagine, depending on how Supercoach goes about it, people may decide to drop down Gorn and then have a lot more funds to distribute around their team. So uh, anyway, that's a that's a story for another time, JB. Um, anyone else to call your fancy or did you want to jump to the next match? Uh, on to the next one, which was Hawthorne versus Brisbane. Uh, not the result I don't think a lot of people expected out of this one with Hawthorne taking this one quite comfortably. Um, I want to say it was the battle of the two just contested and possession getting beasts in Tom Mitchell and Lockie Neal. But I feel like Chad Wingard kind of stole the show. He was playing a lot of midfield, kicked a few goals as well, was very efficient. Um, he could have been maybe a little bit slept on in the preseason. We knew he was going to play in midfield based on the marsh. Um, kicking three goals, though, helps, and he, he looks really, really, really good. So uh, maybe, potentially, he's somebody that's gone much more under the radar than he should have. Um, yeah, let's TBD on this one. Uh, I do, do want to talk about Tom Mitchell and Lockie Neal. The scoring system is going to suit these types of players. Like, I can't see a world in which they score badly, Um through this season at all. Uh, watching, I've, I've got Tom Mitchell and I was very pleased with the pick, but watching Lockie Neal just rack up possession after possession, tackling like a madman, um, you know, 16 contested possessions, 10 tackles, 26 touches, 157 super coach points. Somehow I didn't even think, zero marks. Because he was just inside the whole day. I, <laughs> I actually don't think this isn't a somewhat sustainable scoreline for Lockie Neal. Like, if he doesn't average 25 touches, I'll be quite shocked. And if he's not getting you know, five to ten tackles a game, uh, I would also be quite disappointed. So, to me, this is a, a Lockie Neal that can average 120 in the scoring system at least, um, maybe even more, probably more. Uh, so, right at the top of my shopping, I guess, want list would be Lockie Neal um, and Tom Mitchell, but, you know, you can't have them all. Yeah, and um, I don't think either of these teams really negate opposition midfielders, so that is kind of interesting to note. And Lockie Neal wasn't great with the tag last year, but um, the perfect start for his season. And like you said, 120, that is essentially what I'm considering to be a baseline for Lockie Neal at the moment. He really could go much, much higher. I think his potential is obviously through the roof in terms of Supercoach this year. So um, I feel like TBD for you has been your word and potential for me has been my word. So I hope no one's counting <laughs> at home because I feel like we've said those way too many times. Um, another interesting one was Sicily in this one. Only the 70 points off 17 disposals. Uh, he looked all right. He had five marks as well. Only the 58% disposal efficiency, which is very un-Sicily-like. Uh, is that the only thing you noticed that was keeping his score down or just not his type of role or scoring system this year? He... 
had so many dropped marks, and that's why he has six clangers for the game. It was actually kind of comical. Uh, one time, the, he got a falcon in the face, which is always a good laugh, but um, I think he, he kept seemingly kept getting blinded by the sun being in his eyes. I've never seen somebody in a match like complain so much about the sun when nobody else is complaining about the sun. Like He'd have his <laughs> hands up in the air trying to block it, and the ball would just like, completely miss him. He, he, he looked all types of confused out there. Um, dropping marks and stuff that he would never usually, and that's why he's got all these clangers. Um, so I, I would chalk that up to a bad game on his behalf. I don't think he played particularly well. 70 Supercoach feels about right, and I do expect him to improve on that, and I'm not actually that worried about the pick. I think he'll be quite good because that combination with um, the big boy, uh, McAvoy, I think works quite well. Um, I thought they both played played well and Segler did fine in the starting ruck um he did score 101 um he he did start scoring a little bit better um when Steph Martin went off injured so that's at least something um like in the last quarter he kind of rocketed up to 100 I thought he was going to end up in like the high 80s low 90s um which is kind of what I would expect from him because it's not a particularly great um hit out to Tire. advantage <laughs> hit ruckman um I think he'll be fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that he's going to be a great pick at his price given all of the other picks around him, like Rosie and Wingard. They're all at the same price range and they all dominated. So for me, it's more of like a coverage pick if you're picking Naismith and you needed that uh, injury cover. I, I just don't think he's going to end up top six um, in that position at all. And you are still paying a pretty big price tag. Uh, Greenwood, I forgot, is similar price. Um, Petrarca, similar price. So yeah, I just don't really see him... Um, ending up in that top six range. Well, Pistol, speaking of Christian Petrarca, he was in our next game, if you're finished with the one that we were in. Sure. Of West Coast versus Melbourne. West Coast taking the chocolates. Um, Petrarca obviously getting 24 touches and 105 supercoach points. For those who took the plunge and started him like myself, uh, very welcome signs. Didn't have great disposal efficiency, but still turned up. 11 contested possessions, JB. That's the magic number, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, more than 10. So 10 inclusive. That's that's my magic number, just for references. Well, if we're talking about contested possessions, Jack Viney had 20 of them. <laughs> uh, that is a lot. That so many lot. players struggled to get to 20 touches, and this man has come out with 20 contested possessions, 186 super coach points. Um, he looked amazing, and... Look, I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about someone who a lot of people think is really irrelevant considering his supercoach scoring history, but he's not got the captaincy anymore. He did seem quite irked about it. I don't know if you saw that Melbourne Demons documentary, but he was not happy about not being captain. He had a strong Marsh series and a big round one. Is there a world in which Jack Viney fights towards the top eight midfielders? I don't think there's a world that he finishes top eight, but I do think there's a world that he's like a kind of a sneaky... And again, I don't know what Supercoach is going to do regarding the trade situation, but as like a sneaky cash cow, <laughs> like they've got a good draw. I think he's going to have some big scores. He's quite cheap. I think he's good value early on um, for the season because you don't really... like. I think people are probably unaware of his price, JB. Do you happen to have it handy? <laughs> or if I th- or if I've completely just throwing you under the bus with that You've one. You're me under the bus. I think it's around the 400 mark though. No, so it's uh 439. So you it's, mean it's no, so I got it spot on. 
Yeah, exactly spot on. Um, 439k. It's cheap enough just uh, that I think you could kind of make it work. You can definitely make 100k from that price. So kind of like a weird mid-price cash cow uh, option if the trade if we get unlimited trades or we get two trades a week. I don't know what the situation will be, but I think there's enough potential there that we should at least consider him, um, JB. Yeah, spot on. I, I really I really liked his game. And for the very, very, very few people out there that started him, I think I see what you guys see. And that loss of captaincy, I, I genuinely think has really bugged him this season. And he could be in for a very big one, especially against someone as good as West Coast Eagles. What a start for him. Um... Clayton Oliver fell one point short of the ton, which is typical of his last 12 months of football. Um, Max Gorn, though, was really interesting. 93 points in Supercoach, and I'm going to steal your stat before you use it. 96% time on ground for that. So it's not like he was overly rested. He obviously did have an interrupted preseason, but we can't essentially blame that considering the time on ground. Only the 14 touches, only the six marks, which I, I just I still think is unders for him. Only the 18 hitouts. Yeah, he got beaten badly by Nick Nat, and also I think he would would lost the battle against Hickey in the ruck. So it was not a That's great scary. Yeah, it wasn't a great showing from Gorn. But to be fair, it's surely only upwards from here as well. So I'm not I'm 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 disappointed because of the price. Um, that he costs, and I guess that how the mid-price options all scored really, really well. But at the end of the day, I, I think I'd know who I'd prefer to have in my team in terms of overall points scored. Fair enough. Um, we'll, go, <laughs> we'll go over to the West Coast Eagles side. Um, Shannon Hearn, 152 Supercoach points, turning the clock back to pre-buy Shannon Hearn 2019. And uh, is he just a great starter of the season and somewhat tapers off later on? Or uh, was his last second half of the season last year a bit of an anomaly? Who knows? He kind of had a breakout season at his age and was averaging 110 until the bye. And he could very well do that again. Uh, there's no reason why he can't. Give him, it's pretty hard to predict when these like older players randomly decide to score very well. Um, yeah. I can't really. I don't think Shannon Hurd's ever been a bad pick. He's just been a pricey pick, and uh, I think you'll pay for what you get. That's fair enough. Also, um, I think it was interesting to note that the West Coast midfield dynamic was a bit interesting. Uh, Shuey, Gaff, and Sheed all turning up, leaving Tim Kelly and Elliot Yo on the the sub ton side of things, and uh, Kelly rescued a bit with an eighty six, but Elliot Yo just fifty seven. Um, a few people predicting a breakout there. Uh, he, he does suit the, the power curve that we're sort of pushing in this podcast with the contested possessions, but he definitely didn't this game. Um, I'm essentially going to rule out all five of those West Coast midfielders because I, I just think there's going to be too many rotations through there, too many players that can do what each other can do effectively, and um, too many of them are good in different positions. So Elliot Yo, we've seen, can go forward and back. Um, Tim Kelly can go forward as well. Obviously, Dom Sheeter spent most of the part of you know, most part of the last two seasons pretty much up forward because of how many midfielders they have. And then obviously they've got Gaff on a wing and Shuey inside. So um, I know Elliot Yo did have seven frees against, which is quite crazy. <laughs> but it's um, so many. <laughs> but that still would have only put him in a score maybe in the 80s. So um, just yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we can touch the revolving door there. 
Seven free kicks against. Just touching on that for a second. The whole of the Melbourne team gave away nine, and Yo gave away seven. <laughs> That's an insane amount in a shortened timed, uh, I guess, a shortened quarters and small seven? game. Giving away seven frees is so many. You'd think after like the first five, you'd be like, you know what? I'm having a tough run for the umpires. I might take first it a little five, bit easy. Threes are quite a bit. Pro- probably, yeah. You hit, you hit, you hit five though, and you're like, wow, this has been a bad day. And I think he got to a point where he's like, I just don't care anymore. I just just going to keep going. I may Maybe as well he set was chasing the record. record. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's right up there. Um, if it was, if this was a full length game, um, he'd be gone for it. I, I know he had five at half time, which is an insane amount of phrase to give away at half time. That's that's Mumford like levels, um, right about there. So, yeah, definitely interesting. Well, um, I think that's essentially going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, the week one was interesting. Um, we saw some big scores from Ruckman that I don't think we expected that big a score from. Um, we saw some big scores from the, the accumulators of the contested possession variety. And I think overall, it was good to see footy back. I know we're going to miss it for a couple of months, but it was really good to just get a taste of it. I'm glad the AFL did what they did and uh, played some games for us this weekend. It was very very good to get our, our mind on onto just things that in the grand scheme of things don't really matter so um, I thought it was incredible Pistol I, I assume you had the, a similar type vibe yeah no, I definitely did I, I think my mind's racing a little bit towards uh, what can Supercoach do um, for, before round two and like how that's all going to work but besides that I definitely enjoyed the football while it was on yeah and uh, Supercoach obviously whether it goes ahead or not this season uh, will still be producing some form of content so we thank you very much for even though it is a bit of a sour time in the Supercoach lives of many uh, for tuning into the episode uh, we're essentially just trying to provide something besides the norm at the moment and on that topic we just hope that everyone's staying healthy uh, everyone's families are healthy at the moment as well and obviously stay inside so um, we do have some light reading though to provide for those who are in some form of quarantine at the moment at jb underscore drsc on twitter at pistol underscore drsc on twitter and at cheeso with a z underscore drsc on twitter i think those three profiles will pretty much get you through anything uh any any sort of lockup that you're in um and and lastly our patreon has been opened up it is free for the next two months so if you'd like to check out those uh dr daily dose podcasts we're talking about the 30 podcasts that we did in 30 days um I think it will still cost to sign up, I believe, JB. I'm not actually sure. Um, yeah, so you'll be charged for the first month, but you would get the second month, and depending on when Supercoach starts up again, uh, potentially beyond that as well uh, for free until we get some Supercoach back. Yeah, so at least you're paying $3 to get um, two months' worth of content, so $1.50 a month to get the 30 podcasts, talking about 30 players. So uh, it's probably worth it um, if you can... Uh, I guess afford to do so. Be be great to have you. Yeah, and can I just say on that as well? We don't love to chat too much about the Patreon as we keep it free content, sort of free content. But um, we we have a bit of a, a like a, a, a just talking about anything besides what's been dominating the media so far zone. Um, and I think it's really really good to just tune out to things at times and, and just be able to chat about movies and and you know, past seasons of AFL and Supercoach and just all the, all the other business that 
essentially goes goes pretty much to the wayside at the moment in such a hectic time. So um, it's been a really good release for myself to get on there and just be able to chat to real people about things that aren't pretty much going crazy at the moment. So um, I don't know about you, Pistol, but I think if I was ever going to jump into something like this at $1.50 over the next two months, it's, it's probably the best time to try it out. It would be excellent to have everyone on board. But uh, with that, JB, um, thanks for joining me on this podcast and uh, thanks for joining us, community.